0: And now, Move the Sticks, 10 Takeaways from Week 4, with Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks, and Rhett Lewis. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks, presented by Spees, DJ, Bucky, and Rhett back with you. Guys, look, it was a fun weekend here. Uh, we didn't know f- what this weekend was going to look like, Buck, with all the, the talk about the positive tests. We ended up having one game delayed and one game postponed, but it ended up being a pretty entertaining week of football.
1: Yeah, very entertaining week of football. And we continue to see teams begin to find their identity and kind of stick to that. And I think we're getting into a stretch where we're going to see some really good football over the next four weeks.
2: Yeah, basically at the quarter pole of the season here. And I feel like every week I have started out by thinking and most of the time saying, that we are breaking records for scoring in the NFL. That continues. This has been the highest scoring first four weeks of an NFL season in the Super Bowl era. Continues, we're seeing teams score 30 points at an absolute record pace. Certainly saw that in that Browns-Cowboys game, which I know we'll get to here shortly,
0: but it's been fun. It's been fun to watch the scoreboard light up. All right, let's go first takeaway here. Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills, he's dealing. Whoa,
2: wait a second, wait a second. For the first time this season, I can't believe it. Pull out your bingo cards. We've got DJ using a quarterback is dealing as his tagline for the first time. I cannot believe that it's taken until week four for this to happen. I mean, like we even saw this before we heard him use Dalvin was cooking, which is what we used six different times. I don't know how many more times we're going to hear that a quarterback was dealing. But, man, I'm ready to deal out some straight flushes. Let's go, baby. What do you got,
0: DJ? Look, he's dealing. He's dealing. I mean, there's multiple <laughs> quarterbacks going to be dealing all throughout the season. And you know what, Rhett? Deal with it. <laughs> deal with it. Cue the sound. Uh, Let's get can it Can I roll my, can I roll mine, yes. please? Can I please roll my, my takeaway here, please? <laughs> the snap. Jack's going to throw it off. Play action. Fires it towards the end zone. And oh, it he got- caught there. Jump <laughs> He is out of bounds at the half-yard line. What a great catch! <laughs> the best part about doing these shows is I don't know some things that I say. Um, you know, you have the voice activation on your on your computer, yeah. and it, so it, they think I'm asking them a question. I'm not asking you a question. I'm just trying to talk with Rhett and Bucky here. Okay, computer, <laughs> leave me alone. Uh, but look, when you watch the Buffalo Bills in this game, um, that it was fun to watch. I put a little uh, a little vignette of plays Buck on Twitter because. They're just missiles from Josh Allen back there in the pocket. And it got me thinking from a scouting standpoint, sometimes we can talk about what a guy doesn't have, and that's, that's, that's the wrong way to scout. But when you talk about Josh Allen, you talk about the size, the athleticism, the arm strength, right? Um, now you start looking at the intelligence and the work ethic. When you have all five of those things there, you know he, his accuracy wasn't great. He had some footwork things he needed to clean up he's found a way to get that done. I mean, the improvements he's made year to year, and especially the leap he's taken this year, has been—it's been it's been outstanding. And it's kind of changed my thought process. And we'll get to Justin Herbert a little bit later on in the show. But some of these big, strong, tough, athletic, smart guys, they figure it out.
1: Yeah, DJ, it's funny you talk about that because I do believe Josh Allen and even later Lamar Jackson, they have changed the way that we look at quarterbacks for so long it was about – nitpicking and talking about what quarterbacks can't do when they're entering into the league but now it's all about the can do what can they do what can they bring to the table and hopefully you can pair them with an offensive coordinator who can really build an offense around their strengths because we're seeing with Josh Allen in Buffalo when they built this offense around the things that he does really well man they've gone from good to great and this is a team that is really a legitimate Super Bowl contender this season.
2: Yeah. And guys, Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs and the sink that they are in right now are disproving any theories out there about the COVID-19 era of training camp and no preseason causing problems for chemistry with any quarterbacks and any wide receivers. I mean, these two guys hadn't linked up on a field for real until week one. Uh, So the fact that they are completing... Passes right now at a 74% catch percentage for Stefan Diggs. Really impressive. And I don't remember, and this is no disrespect to Stefan Diggs, but I don't remember him going up and making these huge contested catches at this rate, like we saw uh, on Sunday, going up over the top on a deep ball. Uh, to pull one down for Josh Allen. And then that's kind of like a, a, a symptom of what the Bills receiving core has been about this season. And we saw them all in this game, Cole Beasley with a huge high degree of difficulty catch at the goal line. Same for John Brown, even Gabriel Davis, the rookie is in there. I mean, these guys are, are elevating their level of play. And if you want to talk about Josh Allen in that respect, he's a truck right now, he's bringing everybody with him. And I think that's really cool to watch this kind of Bills offense, kind of come together the trust and the talent dj that you had talked about uh last week as well
0: yeah we're seeing those things come together it's been fun to watch and and what they're doing Uh, raiders on the other side of things they've got to find a pass rush is max crosby alone right now they've got to find a way to generate some heat on the quarterback all right buck what's
1: your what's your first takeaway here the browns run over the cowboys Here's
2: Mayfield. On a reverse, they're going to give it to Beckham. He's rolling to the right and running. He's up to the 50, to the 45, to the 40, 35, 30. There he goes to the 20, 15, 10,
0: 5, touchdown! OBJ. he's got a hat trick! Odell
1: Beckham Jr., 50 yards on the run! The Cleveland Browns are a scary team to watch and prepare for because their running game is one of the best that I've seen. They're able to do it in a variety of different ways. Without their top rusher, Nick Chubb, who went out the game early with an injury, they were able to put up 307 rushing yards on 40 attempts. And what was so beautiful to watch about the way they did it, they did it with an assortment of power runs inside and outside, deceptive runs, reverses, in the rounds, uh, any and everybody touching the ball. And it really set the table for Baker Mayfield to still have a solid day passing the ball. Because the Cleveland Browns have really stepped into this identity of being a ground-and-pound team, they are one of the teams that no one wants to face because they're going to hit you and hit you in the mouth. And I don't know how many defenses can withstand the power and the ferocity of this rushing attack.
2: I I mean, Bucky, it was unreal. And, And think about the fact that Nick Chubb got injured and was out for the game early against the Cowboys. I mean, think about what this total might have been if he'd have stayed in the game. Yes, uh, Kareem Hunt came in and put up near 100 yards. He had the con- contribution from Odell Beckham Jr. But just to put the 300 rushing yards in perspective, so far this season through 4 weeks, there have been 24 teams with under 300 total yards in games this season. Like that that is an unreal amount of rushing production. Uh, for the Cleveland Browns, most of the Cowboys have allowed. And which brings me to that defense. And, you know, DJ, I think you, you've seen a lot out there on social media and in the media in general about the coaching from the Cowboys on defense. And whether, you know, Mike Nolan's scheme is too difficult and whether it's just not working. It's not a fit for some of these players. I, you know, I look, I, I turned on, you know, I turned this game on and, and went back and looked at a couple of the plays, including the Odell Beckham run at the end. And the one thing I had a coach tell me is you never want to see change in speed, right? You never want to see guys that are giving 50% and then have to take it up a notch when they see that somebody else is not going to make the tackle. It's not all about effort. It's also about expectation that someone else is going to get the job done. And so I don't have to go full speed at this point. Um, look, it's hard to question people's effort, you know, especially in this league. But man, it just, I saw a lot of that change in speed on a couple of those big plays, including the one that eventually sealed the deal.
0: Well, I want to get to Bucky again on this because Buck is, is doing some work with the Cowboys and, and really following this team closely. So, Buck, when I went back and watched the tape defensively, Rhett was talking about the scheme. I came away looking at it as more of an effort issue and a talent issue. And I can give you some specific ev- examples on, on the reverse to uh, Odell Beckham, not the one he scores on, but Alden Smith. He gets reached by the tight end. He sees it. He gets reached. He doesn't even try and fight through it. He allows he allows the run to get outside of him. He doesn't force it back in. It was terrible effort on his part. On the backside of the run, Jalen Smith, I tweeted it out because I'm like, is he injured? What is wrong with him? Because one thing he's always been able to do is run. Yeah. And he's, there's no effort from him on the backside to pursue. And I don't know if he's hurt, if he's just exhausted or what his deal is, but it was awful. Uh, there's another run they popped. It was a, uh, an explosive run of 20-plus yards. They're in the short side of the field. They corner Cat it from the short side of the field. He's unblocked. You're untouched. This should be a tackle for loss. He runs right by the running back on the way to Baker Mayfield. I'm just like, just open your eyes. Be a football player. There's other plays where you see Jordan Lewis gets flat-backed. He, he ends up falling back into the safety. He's on the ground. The defensive tackle and pursuit's on the ground. They got four or five guys on the ground while you're seeing an explosive run pop. And I'm, I'm sitting here going, look, I, I'm not going to be a Mike Nolan apologist. I'm sure there's some schematic things they can do differently. But, man, this was a talent and effort thing when I watched the tape. It was it was gross.
1: You know, it's funny that you bring that up, DJ, because I was wondering if I was alone in seeing that, right? And I know that um, Cowboys Nation had a tough time with Rod Marinelli and Chris Richard. They didn't like the simple scheme. But the one thing that I can tell you is that there was a demand and a standard of uh, hustle, effort discipline and accountability when it came to that defense and I'm not seeing that and I'm glad you guys pointed out those examples because when I watched Odell Beckham Jr. on the game clinching reverse the effort that was displayed by guys on the backside was unacceptable. You wouldn't accept it in youth ball and I don't know how they're being able to watch the tape today in Dallas and not chew on those defenders for not giving maximum effort. Their lack of effort overwhelms it even it surpasses their lack of execution. This is yeah. a team that doesn't play really hard. They're going to continue to lose.
0: Yep. I mean, I don't know how to say it any other way, Buck. I think that's that's perfect. All right. Rhett, what's your what's your takeaway here? Takeaway number
2: three: Joe Burrow's first win as a pro showcases the Bengals' core future. Burrow will line up in the shotgun, even though it's third and less than a yard. He'll
1: hand it to Mixon. Go Mixon Joe. bursting Go through Joe. the middle to yeah. the ten, the five, Woo. touchdown! Joe Mixon and the Bengals' his third of the day.
2: Yeah, look, we're going to talk about Joe Burrow and the fact that he's the first rookie with 300 plus passing yards and three straight games since 1950. And they get their first win this week, a big one over the Jaguars. Uh, they do it at home. But this game was really about Joe Mixon and about how Zach Taylor finally figured out how to get him some real production. I mean, a guy gets first three touchdown game of his career. They're starting to figure that out. But, you know, I think that's where this offense needs to focus. Moving forward, but the fact that you also have a terrific connection brewing between Burrow and the rookie wideout T. Higgins, first pick of the second round, and also the young wideout Tyler Boyd, who they paid and deservedly so. That young nucleus right there, Burrow, Mixon, Higgins, and Boyd going to really make our old pal Ryan Yunt, our producer who's no longer with us here at the NFL Network, (laughs) really (laughs) proud to be a Bengals fan. Happy for you, Yuntie, because you guys have some stuff to be really excited about. Now, just, you know, go fix the offensive line.
1: (laughs) I mean, when you look at this team and you look at Joe Burrow, he is as cool as a cucumber in the pocket. The way that he plays, the way he performs, the leadership has been outstanding. And, Red, you bring up a good point about the chemistry and the connectivity that he has with T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. Those two guys are their best two receivers. A.J. Green is a shell of himself. And as they continue to develop with those two on the outside and Joe Mixon being the workhorse in the backfield, I do believe there should be a lot of optimism for what is going on in Cincinnati.
0: Yeah, it was fun to watch it because they they went empty 11 times when I went back and charted it, which is something that Joe Burrow is very comfortable with. Had some very efficient plays out of empty. Uh, But the other thing, and I'll get back to you on this, Bucky, is that I thought Zach Taylor did a beautiful job of game planning. And what they were able to find is they were able to hit overs, uh, and not the deep over, kind of those middle over routes on the other mm-hmm. side of the numbers from the far side, and he hit it over and over and over again, no pun intended. But the safety was at 15, and so they were just getting that They were getting that easy throw. And it's even in manor zone, they were able to get those nice, easy overthrows, and Burrow just found a rhythm with those. They did it with tight ends. They did it with, with Boyd. They did it with T. Higgins. Uh, they did it with two tight ends, actually, with a Sample did it as well. So uh, they did a nice job of really kind of, of finding the void in that defense, and they just attacked it from a lot of different looks.
1: You know, what you're beginning to see, DJ, is a mix of what Joe Burrow did at LSU, which is what you pointed out with the empty formations, and what Zach Taylor wants to evolve this offense to, which is what he came from in L.A. with Sean McVay. The deep over routes, the max protection two- and three-man routes with these deep crossers and post routes, those are the explosive plays, off-play action. And so it is slowly but surely beginning to come together. Zach Taylor should be encouraged by his young quarterback and Cincinnati Bengals fans should be able to imagine what this offense is going to look like in a year or two.
2: Hey, let me ask you real quick before we move on here, DJ. Is A.J. Green a Cincinnati Bengal at the trade deadline this year?
0: Well, I, I don't think they'll get anything for him. I, I don't think you're going to see a line. It's He's come to that, right? right now. Wow. I, he just can't, he can't run. I mean, and, and almost when you're watching them on offense— I just wanna, let's get more balls to these other players with Boyd, what he yeah. can do, we know what he is. T. Higgins, yeah. as you mentioned, just continue to grow and evolve. Um, they've got a couple good tight ends, so. Sample um, made some nice and, catches. And Joe Mixon, yeah, Sample did a nice job, and there was another tight end, Jones, I wanna say, who made a couple plays um, as well. So look, they've got other weapons. He's, look, he's not gonna be back next year for sure. Right. I'm sure you try and trade him at the trade deadline, I don't think you're gonna be able to get much for him. Um, all right, let's keep it moving here. Let's stay on the quarterback theme here. Brady and Herbert, they were outstanding.
2: Herbert stands tall, pushes downfield, has a receiver, caught, still on
0: his feet, Jalen Guyton, 10-5, touchdown, Chargers. Poise under pressure, Justin Herbert does it again. Well, you mentioned it it, uh, a little bit earlier, Rhett, talking about Burrow and saying he's the first quarterback to go three straight 300-yard games. Well, Joe, when you look at this game, 10, yards short. Right. Was was 10 yards short. Justin Herbert was <laughs> 10 yeah. yards short, and he would have done the exact same thing. So he's been outstanding in his three starts. I'll start with him. Um, the degree of difficulty on some of these plays, eluding the free rusher, uh, making big-time stick throws. The, the deep ball on the 53-yard touchdown right here is one of the best that you'll ever see. This is, this is 62 yards in the air. And, and he's fading away, and it's just right on the money. Uh, I mean, he was outstanding, and he's playing with no fear. I wanted him to be a little more aggressive when he was at Oregon. He's he's gotten more aggressive at what we've seen here with the Chargers. So, again, going back to Josh Allen, big, strong, tough, smart. Uh, you're going to see those guys kind of figure things out, athletic as well. Uh, you could not be more impressed with Justin Herbert. He'd like to have one, you know, the throw at the end of the game, the interception, like to have that one back. You're going to have to live with some of those plays. And then you flip it over to Tom Brady and uh look th- this team was dead there was 24 to 7 right before the half chargers have the ball with 40 seconds left i thought they'd probably just take t- a couple knees and get out of there they, they had one timeout left for oh. the bucks and they don't they decide to, to run the ball and it's a kind of a, a goofy exchange a little bit high on the handoff to uh, joshua kelly he puts it on the ground and domkin sue was right in his face turnover and then you just saw brady flip the switch and from that point on he was on fire. I mean, he didn't make mistakes. They were efficient, and then when there were opportunities down the field, he attacked. So uh, Tom Brady gotten better every week, Rhett, and I would say that was by far uh, his best performance. You can't play better than he did in the second half of that game.
1: No, I would say like it was, it was a great performance by both quarterbacks. I think the Tom Brady thing is really interesting because he had another pick six, um, and you begin to wonder, like, man, can Tom Brady figure this thing out? But then you're right, D.J., A veteran quarterback can seize the momentum of the game, and the Chargers gifted them an easy scoring opportunity. And once Tom Brady saw the ball go in the basket, he got hot. And so I think that is the part of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that is scary. Tom Brady is just good enough that if you give him some crumbs, he certainly can make a meal out of it, and he did that against the Chargers.
2: Yeah, look, his passer rating has gone up every week that he's been a buck. Their total yards as an offense has gone up every single week uh, this season. So I think you're starting to see some consistent improvement here. And we started to see the vertical pass game, I think, more so this game than we have all season long. So you start to wonder if they're really starting to feel a little bit more comfortable in that Bruce Arians themed offense. I know Byron Leftwich has done a, a terrific job kind of pushing the buttons and calling the plays there. Um and Brady's five touchdowns of five different receivers in this game. I believe that's the first time in his career that he's thrown that many to that many different guys in a game. One of them, O.J. Howard, tough news there, ruptured Achilles. He's likely out for, E is out for the season with that injury. So uh, good news, though, is that you got Cam Brady into the end zone. So you still got Brady and Rob Gronkowski to work the middle of the field, at uh, the tight end spot. Uh, I thought was also interesting in this game, we, we talked about it on our after Aftermath Production meeting call earlier, the Chargers' four touchdowns in this game were scored by undrafted free agents. And, you know, actually, I, I thought it was interesting. That's not the first time that's happened. It is the first time it's happened since 2018. And I got a little 10 takeaway trivia here for you. The Saints were the last team to have four touchdowns scored by undrafted free agents in the same game. It did it 2018, week 12 against the Falcons. Can you guys name one of the four? Just give me one of the four
0: saints oh, for the undrafted and what year was this?
2: This was 2018, 2 years ago.
0: Um okay. 2 <laughs> years ago. Uh was Cadet one of them? That's
2: a good that's a good thought. He wasn't. Um one was a tight okay. end, one was a tight end and three were receivers.
0: Oh, I am, I'm I'm out. I'm out. I'm <laughs> that's out. That's three tough. were receivers. Yeah, yeah, believe it or not. Three uh, was Snead Snead was Snead undrafted? Was it Willie Snead?
2: He didn't score. Wasn't him. Another really okay. good guess, though. I think he was. He was. He wasn't on the stage. So I'll give it to you,
0: Tommy Lee Lewis.
2: Oh, yeah. Okay. Never for one that. for one hundred. Dan Arnold, the tight end, for two hundred. Oh gosh. Keith oh, Kirkwood, the receiver, no. for three hundred. Yeah. And, and how no about shot.
0: Austin no. Carr? Austin was, Carr. That, that would have been the one car. I should have known. I could have had a yeah. shot at Austin Carr. The other ones, no. Look, I, mean, I love I, mean, I love a little trivia. Yeah, All right. right, Buck, what's give me five here, Buck. What's the fifth takeaway?
1: Lamar Jackson and the Ravens get back on track. Jackson will keep it on the read option. He's got to hold 40 leg race, 30. He's going to go 20, 10, 5 Lamar Jackson. Touchdown Ravens. You know, with the Baltimore Ravens, I think it's really simple. They just need to know who they are and always stick to that identity in this game against Washington. They got back to just pounding the football, running the read option, doing the things that makes Lamar Jackson very comfortable. This offense wasn't spectacular. They veered away from trying to be cute. And they just went to old smash mouth football. And as long as they kind of stay in that lane, this is a team that is very, very difficult to beat. Sure, we make a lot of it about when they match up with the Kansas City Chiefs. But against everybody else, they don't have a problem. I think they just need to focus on what they do and what they do well. The wins will continue to, to come, and we'll see how they get it done in the playoffs. But I like them getting back on track.
2: Yeah, I felt like they are back on track. I still don't think like we're, we're even close to where they will be at some point this season once they start firing on all cylinders. Uh, for Washington, though, I, I continue to be impressed by Antonio Gibson. I mean, he's an exciting Player, I thought the game plan from Scott Turner was really good. Get the ball out of Haskins' hands quick and get him out of those quick throws, quick screens. Get some offensive linemen out in front of Gibson. Let him do work with the ball in his hands to try to counteract some of that blitz game from the Ravens and and some of the pressure that their front can put on you. Gibson's 81 yards after the catch in this game. That's second most we saw this week. Ezekiel Elliott, only player who had more run after the catch, which also, by the way, says something about Zeke's usage in the Cowboys offense uh but look I Gibson was a player with the ball in his hands at Memphis and we're seeing it now not just in the backfield um you know even though he did he was basically the only production that Washington had on a single touchdown drive he's he's become their offense in the backfield and it's not just there too they're getting him out on the perimeter it's been fun to watch
0: well, Rhett's, Rhett's a little more excited about the Washington football team than I am, so I'm not going to add on to that because I'm, I'm going to be nice here. I want to be encouraging to the to that fan base and feel good about what you got there in the very rugged, tough NFC East. All right, let's get back to the takeaways here. Number six for me,
2: we saw a sensational 25-minute 20 mi- stretch in Detroit. Breeze is going to drop back and look to throw. He delivers. Far side has a man. Cut. Touchdown, Traquan Smith. This Saints offense is making it look easy. Traquan Smith from 20 yards out. And the Saints with 28 unanswered points here in the first half. Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, into the first half for the Saints. I, I, I want to ask you guys this. like Mike Tirico mentioned it in one of his recaps last night. Uh, the Saints allowed the first 14 points of this game. And they also allowed the final 15 points of the game. Does that sound like a recipe for success to you? Well, (laughs) it it does when you have a 35-point stretch in 25 plus 26 minutes in the second and third quarters. Absolutely unprecedented right there. They go five straight touchdowns on five straight possessions. Tail end of the first quarter, first part of the third quarter. I mean, they were on fire. And that, look – that says something about their offense, right, that they're finding ways to do a trick Juan Smith and a pair of touchdowns uh, as he fills in admirably for Michael Thomas. Emmanuel Sanders had his best game. It felt like as a saint. And they also got some contributions in the ground game as well. But I mean, the fact that their defense was also able to get five straight stops there to get it back to Drew Brees and company to have them keep it rolling uh, was terrific. And then, of course, another. Double-digit lead blown by the Lions. Man, they just cannot quite hang on there, although uh, they made a valiant effort at the end to make a comeback here. And, it, look, it's great to start out hot, but they got to figure something out. But for the Saints, this felt like a little bit of a get-right for
1: them. Yeah, Rhett, uh, the Saints did get right. And I think Sean Payton understands the pressures that that's on him to make sure that he always puts Drew Brees in the right situation. The Detroit Lions, it made it a little easier for them. They played a little more zone, open windows. Drew did a great job of getting the ball in the hands of the playmakers, but this is a ball control Saints team. And it's one that it's explosive, but it's explosive because of the efficiency, meaning they get the ball into the hands of the playmakers. Those guys have a little wiggle and burst. They make things happen. And as long as they're able to play that way, this Saints team is as dangerous as any team in football.
0: Yeah, and the Lions, man, it just they have no identity as a team. Like, I don't know what they are. Are they a physical team? Are they an explosive team? There's just, you don't have nothing to hang your hat on. They can't find a way to win games. And I look forward to the future, and you look at it and say, okay, how do you create an identity, and what do you do? And I almost wonder if there ends up being changes there in Detroit if it's you know, kind of turned the whole page on that era, if you would trade Matt Stafford, if you're gonna be picking up there in the top three or four, and you get a chance to get a young quarterback to start completely fresh. And which leads to the then the next question, and Bucky, I'll hit you up on this, but um, you look at some of the older quarterbacks in the league, like if Ben Roethlisberger decided after this year he didn't want to, to keep going. Drew Brees, who they just played against there with the Saints, if he, he moves on. I mean, you look at Matt Stafford and for the lack of winning they've had there, he's still as gifted a thrower as, as there is. And I wonder, I would, I would almost like to see him for the last part of his career to get an opportunity to be on a team like a Pittsburgh or be on a team like the Saints wow. and see what he could do. It could be something where everybody kind of gets a fresh start.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the toughest thing with the Detroit Lions is this is a team that is just downtrodden they haven't been able to figure it out under Matt Patricia. And this is year three of the Matt Patricia era. And he can talk about having to do so much work based on what he inherited. But this was a team that had won three out of four times under Jim Caldwell, meaning three winning seasons out of the four years that Caldwell was there. And they have just fallen off a cliff. And I think the thing that is disturbing, the Lions have no problem getting leads, but they can't hold on to leads. So there's something that is going on with them that they just don't know how to win. And that goes back to the coach. Matt Patricia has to figure this out and figure it out quickly.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a mess down there in Detroit right now. All right, I'll get to my next one here. This was a Sunday night game. The Eagles defensive line, uh, like Janet Jackson, they were in control. <laughs> the look down, and he's going to get
2: taken down by Hasan Ridgway. He's been in and out tonight, rotating along that defensive front. And Ridgeway came over from the Colts last year with the sack, and a timeout is taken here.
0: All right. Well, look at this defensive line here for the Philadelphia Eagles. They had they had five sacks as a defense. Four came from the defensive line. And I thought, uh, Rhett, we were talking about this late in the day. Um, or actually, I think we might have been talking about this this morning, just yeah, how this morning. defensive front, especially at the end of the game, it just took over the game. Uh, they were able to heat up. They got after Mike McGlinchey, that offensive line, uh, Trent Williams. And it was a collection of guys between Sweat, Ridgeway got there and was getting pressure, Janard Avery, who they traded for, Brandon Graham, uh, all those guys uh, generating a lot of heat against a very physical front. And I thought against the backs of uh, of the 49ers, all their runs came from the receivers. Their explosive plays uh, came on getting Ayuk the ball. I think uh, you also had Debo Samuel had a run. I think Kittle had a run. But the running backs, they really kept them in check. I think they gave up 60 yards uh, against the running backs in this game. So. Uh, to me, I thought their front played very well.
1: Yeah, when I, when I looked at the Eagles, I, I thought they played a very, very solid game. And I think this is a different style from the Eagles that we're not accustomed to seeing. But this is the way that they have to play, particularly with no weapons on offense. It has to be about the defense keeping the score down, the offense taking advantage of opportunities when they get it, and it does require Doug Peterson to do a little gambling. They went for the two-point conversion early to jump up 8-0, put the 49ers under pressure, and they were able to keep that pressure on the Niners. And so this isn't pretty, but I think Philadelphia has to get used to seeing this team play like this because they're going to have to play like Rocky Balboa. It won't be a pretty effort from the Eagles going forward.
2: That's an interesting analogy. And DJ, I know you've got another one uh, that you're going to lay out for us on the aftermath today. uh, Three o'clock Eastern time, Uh, depending on when you are uh, consuming this show, uh, you should check that out as well. I'm sure we'll tweet it out for you. Um, But, you know, look, uh, Carson's had a ton of criticism over the course of the first three plus weeks of this season. And rightly so. Look, he just has not been right and i think a lot of people want to you know talk about um that throw that he, that wobbler up the sideline uh to me and, and dj we talked about this this morning as well but that angle route throw to miles sanders, wow, sanders. that wow. bounced off his shin that was the worst throw of the game to me but still despite some misfires he found a way to get his team a victory he had some some gutty, some gritty runs in that game in this game that produced first downs um, I, he found a way to make it work, and, and you called it right as well. Mike McGlinchey got torched on that final drive for the 49ers as you thought, all right, maybe, you know, maybe C.J. Beathard's going to come in here and give the Niners a shot uh, to win this thing. That that pass rush virtually ended um, the 49ers' hopes on that final drive. And, and then I just, like, uh, back on the Eagles front, I can't believe we're sitting here talking about these receivers again as no-name guys, and, and I don't want to disrespect them because – you know they are, they're obviously here. They've earned their opportunities. And how about Travis Fulgham taking advantage of an opportunity? Carson Wentz saying they only he and Fulgham rep that play once in practice this week. That long touchdown grab uh, that was such a key uh, a key play for the Eagles in this victory, and, and they connected on it. I mean that's that's what it takes when you're a guy that's not getting that many reps. You got to make sure you take advantage of them, right? And I thought that was really cool. And Good news, uh, you know, DJ Bucky, you'll be glad to know that perhaps next week we're going to see the return of Quez Watkins to the Eagles. (laughs) Conference USA zone, the pride of Southern Mm -hmm. Miss. Quez Watkins, second-fastest 40 at the Combine, is going to turn all this wide receiver trouble around.
0: Yeah, the Eagles are also they are missing Dallas Goddard. They're missing their first-round pick, <laughs> right. Jalen Rager. They're missing yeah, Alshon a, Jeffrey. Yeah. They're missing Deshaun yeah. Jackson. But don't worry, Eagles fans, because Quez Watkins is coming back, and all of your problems, <laughs> they're going to be solved. Uh, yeah, yeah, look, I won't I give away the whole analogy, but just a little taste yeah. of that analogy, uh, Buck, as we get to your next takeaway. My point on Carson was, It's like a a shooter who's in a little bit of a slump. So what do they do? You find a way to play great defense. You find a way to get rebounds. You get steals. You just find other ways to help your team win. And Carson's in a little bit of a rut right now. Um, He's lost a little bit of his mojo as a passer. He's lost a little confidence. He had some mechanical things that need to get fixed. But in the meantime, he's finding other ways to help his team win.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly what he needs to do. He needs to embrace that athleticism and physicality part of his game. Once he gets that going, I think the rest of it will fall into place. All
0: right, what's the next takeaway, Buck?
1: The Seahawks chalk up another one.
0: A four-man rush. Russ looks right side. Got a man in the end zone, reaching up, making the catch. David Moore, is he in for the touchdown? He is, David Moore.
1: And the Seahawks put
0: six on the board.
1: The Seattle Seahawks are off to a 4-0 start. The first time they've been 4-0 since the last time they won a Super Bowl. And I think the interesting part about watching the Seahawks now compared to that old team, they're doing it completely differently. This is about Russell Wilson cooking, throwing the ball on the perimeter. He has a number one receiver that's emerging in DK Metcalf to go with Tyler Lockett. Chris Carson is able to put the ball in the end zone as a runner. This Seahawks team is so different because they're really led by their offense and they hope to get a couple of stops each game from their defense. But Russ is cooking, and as long as he's playing at an MVP level, the Seahawks have a chance to win each and every game that they're in.
2: Yeah, and look, I was glad to, that you mentioned Chris Carson getting into the end zone on the in the run game. He did it a couple of times uh, through the air this season, but those were his first rushing touchdowns of the season. He got close to 100 yards, just proving that when they need to, they can still pound the rock in Seattle, despite still letting Russ cook. I'm a little bit more concerned about their defense giving up uh, over 400 yards yet again this season. Again, without Jamal Adams, not sure when he comes back, but um there there's some warts there on that Seahawks defense that they they got to figure out if they want to be real contenders once you get into the thick of the playoff tournament here in the NFL this season DJ
0: I don't know one thing one thing I'm thinking about watching all these games we're talking about here is that this whole no preseason no offseason has led to a ton of offense and a ton of points it's actually really fun to watch so if that's what we get then I'm I'm okay with it uh what's the next one here Rhett what's the next take oh boy we got some Texas size trouble in Houston
2: Cousins play action straight in the pocket to the end zone. Touchdown! Flag on the play. Thielen brought it in. Nine-yard score. And the Vikings lead 23-16. So this is frustrating in Houston right now. I'm just gonna read a couple of things that JJ Watt had to say, who was visibly frustrated after the game, rightly so. Uh, I said, we got to do something different. This isn't working. Something needs to change, be different. All I can do is work harder. Uh, Asked about no turnovers this year. He says, very frustrating. If I had suggestions, I would make them. Uh, Giving up yards and points. He says, uh, not going to win many games that way. I can control what I control. Uh, Story is, we got to stop the run. We got to prevent passings. I mean, like, it just, it sounds like there's just a lack of answers uh, for Houston. And on offense, look, it hasn't been much better. Um, you know, they were in a position to go down there and win this game or to get close to winning this game with that Will Fuller touchdown that ends up getting taken off the board due to a, a bobble as he was going to the ground. Um, it, just, it just has not looked right on offense, and it's looked downright bad on defense.
1: I mean, you have a lot of change, right? You have a lot of change. Uh, you have offensive coordinators trying to figure out how to call the game. Bill O'Brien may step back in and take over some of the play calling duties. You have a new defensive coordinator and Anthony Weaver taking over for Romeo Cornell. He is trying to figure out how to coordinate the front end with the back end after being a D-line coach. And so with all the change in the coaching ranks, it is playing out on the field. And I don't know how talented this team is in terms of the blue chip talent. Uh, J.J. Watt is not quite the player that he once was, but they certainly are good enough to have a win on the ledger at some point. And so they have to get back to basics they got to make sure defensively they cannot let the ball fly out of their head. They have to be able to stop the run and force people into a one-dimensional approach. Until they're able to control the game defensively, it doesn't really matter what they do on offense because they're always behind the eight ball.
0: Well, I'm looking at this from the other side of the country here, and I'm looking at the Miami Dolphins watching the Houston Texans struggle, knowing that they have their first and second round picks, knowing you've got Tua Tonga-Vailoa. Knowing you've got Devontae Parker outside, you've got Mike Isecki, who's going to be a nice emerging tight end, who's really starting to come on. And, Buck, I'm just sitting there going, man, now you throw Jamar Chase on the other side. Maybe you want to go two tight ends. You can go take the tight end from Florida, who has been lighting it up so far this season. And now I've got two Otago Vailoa back there, and we are dancing with the Miami Dolphins.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's something, because Bill O'Brien made some moves. He went for the right now as opposed to the future, mortgaged away some of the future, and now, they may not be good enough to cash in right now, and then he may have to look and see the Miami Dolphins cash in on some of the opportunities that he gave them.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a little bright spot there for the Miami Dolphins. All right, last one here. Uh, let's go to the Indy-Chicago game, and the Indianapolis defense was dominant. Snap is back. Again, a four-man rush. Everything's picked up during coming over the middle Incomplete. And, Intercept. and intercepted. Blackman's got it. Inside the 10, pricks it up to the 15, to the 20, to the 22-yard line. And the rookie out of Utah collects the interception, and Miller unable to catch that football over the middle. Yeah, this is an Indianapolis Colts defense. is really playing as well as anyone in the league right now. You can say the best defense in football right now. And it's a combination of some of the things that were missing from the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Matt Eberflus, who was, who was with that Dallas Cowboy team with Rod Marinelli and company, he's got this Colts group, as you can see with these highlights, they are sprinting to the football. They play so hard. They're very physical. They can get pass rush inside. They can get pass rush off the edge. And and Buck, a lot of times when you talk about great defenses, it starts against the run. I know we're in a passing league, and people like to focus on that. But when your longest run you allow in a game is six yards, um, you make a team very one dimensional, and, uh, and then they are able to get after the quarterback.
1: Yeah, they are able to get after the quarterback. I, I I can't harp enough on what Matt Eberflus has done. With this defense. They play hard. They run to the ball. It's a very simple, straightforward concept. They're getting their guys to play fast because there's not a lot of mental clutter. The move to get DeForest Buckner has changed the identity of their front line. He controls the tackle to tackle box. They're able to get pressure with four guys. And because they can get pressure, they can leave everybody back in coverage, playing more man to man than you would think a Tampa 2 team would do. But the coverage has been outstanding and people cannot find the open windows to complete passes.
2: Just one quick thing to add there. We we had the sock call from uh, Julian Blackman, the safety uh, out of Utah, making that uh, interception off Nick Foles. He credited Frank Reich for preparing that defense for Nick Foles specifically and how this offense was going to run with Nick Foles as quarterback and clearly uh, that paid off with Frank's uh, Frank Reich's uh, knowledge of, of course, what foals can do from their time together in Philly.
0: Oh, that's 10 takeaways right there. I feel like this week we could have had 20 takeaways. Yeah, uh, Such right. an interesting week of action. Inspired by ongoing conversations with players, the NFL launched NFL Votes to empower and improve our communities by exercising the right to vote. Uh, join the NFL family by v- registering to vote today and make your voice heard this November. Visit nfl.com slash votes to learn more. All right, this is a fun show this week, looking back at a great slate of games. I want to thank our buddy, Rhett Lewis, for joining us, as always. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Again, if you want to check out all of our video content, nfl.com slash mtsvideo, you can check out the uh, the podcast YouTube channel, nfl or youtube.com slash Uh Bucky, look out for his column each and every week, nfl.com slash Bucky Brooks. I've got some stuff on my YouTube channel. Uh, YouTube.com slash move the sticks. We've got lots of stuff for you. That's what we're getting to. But, anyways, I want to thank you guys so much for hanging with us today. Uh, we'll catch you next time right here on Move the Sticks, presented by Zaxby's.